What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome aboard. No, I'm kidding. We're not a circus train. We're Car Stuff. I'm Ben Bolin. And I'm Scott Benjamin. And Scott, today we are, however, talking about circus trains. Yeah, we've got uh, some pretty interesting stuff that we've turned up about circus trains. I think a lot of people maybe don't even consider this. They, they just don't even think about how a circus moves from city to city, really. Yeah, because we typically picture a circus as being hauled on you know, caravans or a convoy of buses and trucks. Yeah, you would think that when the circus comes into town that it was it would likely arrive with uh, you know like a like a big rock concert tour or something, you know with uh 15 semi trucks and um you know multiple buses for the performers and you know the they just kind of gather up people and people arrive and leave as they want, but that's not the case. In fact, um what they call a circus train, as a matter of fact, is they call it a town without a zip code. Have you heard that? Yes. There's a great New York Times article from, uh, I think the author's name is, let me find it here, Barnard. Uh, a. Barnard writes about some families that live on these circus trains. And Scott, these trains can have more than uh, 250 or so people living on the train. That's pretty amazing. And the thing is that they're entirely self-sufficient. Now, when we kind of started to think about this, I mean, I came to you with the idea and said, yep. we should talk about circus trains because, I, I don't know, I saw a photo somewhere or something. Something sparked the memory that, you know, we need to do this. I've never seen one personally. Have you ever seen one? Uh, I have not seen one in action. However, uh, I have seen one at a train yard outside of a circus town like it was parked oh that's pretty cool yeah we were we were driving by but at that age i was much more excited about going to the actual circus yeah i can imagine and you know they do park uh you know nearby the venue as close as they can Mm -hmm. um and there's something kind of interesting i want to you know what i'm going to kind of tease this a little bit okay there's a uh there's something pretty interesting that happens just before the circus when the train arrives into town that um i think people will find it interesting i i 
really didn't know that it went on, but uh, I'm going to look for this next time. Yeah, and with that tease, I'm going to uh, put in a little bit of history about circus trades. Sure. Is that good? Yeah. All right, so one of the first people who had the idea of transporting a circus by rail was a guy named Dr. Gilbert Spaulding. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you found out about this guy, right? Yeah, Gilbert Spaulding. We're talking like uh, the 1850s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In uh, 1856, he took his circus. He owned he owned a small circus, uh, and he took it on nine railroad cars uh, for a tour. Now, these railroad cars were built by James Gold and Sons, uh, an Albany company. This... Um, this stuff was custom built because the nine cars that he was taking uh, would need to go over rails that possibly had different gauges. Yeah, see, that's the problem with these early trains, right? Right. Uh, none of them were consistent in size, shape, um, you know, what they, what they could haul. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of uh, obstacles, I guess, in the way of moving something like this around town. Or not around town, across country. And let's also keep in mind that at the time, the roads across country were not necessarily better than the rail. No, because you're talking about wagon trails at that yeah. point, right? Because yep. that's your choice. You either have a wagon or you have a, uh, a train, really. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's about it. This predates the automobile, obviously. Um, so, you know, there's there's really nothing permanent in the solution that he had in, uh, in using a train at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, because there was no way to get fully across the country either at that point, I believe, in the 1850s, because um, it wasn't, uh, you know, the Golden Spike thing, you know, when they uh, joined the... Yeah, East joined the transcontinental. And, yeah, exactly. So that, that that didn't happen for some time yet, but um, uh, so there were points where, you know, you'd have to unload from the train, take a wagon caravan the rest of the way, or walk, or whatever they did. Right, like when, it, it's, it reminds me of when people in a boating expedition, right, or going down a river, have to take portage and mm-hmm. pick up their canoes and walk. Sure, yeah. And uh, what, what we're trying to paint the picture of here is a world in which uh, rail travel was a, a, a an unorthodox alternative mm-hmm. to the typical thing because even the really well-known circuses uh, previous to this were hauling their stuff Town to town, wagon wheel by wagon wheel, like everybody else. And can I just mention this yeah. here? What a sight that must have been, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine? Because think about the old, old, um, you know, the d- old depictions of animal wagons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're cages on wheels. You know, they have wagon wheels. They're carried by, you know, ox or, or yeah, horses or whatever. Horses. Teams of horses that are performers in the in the show itself, oftentimes. Yeah, they had it rough, um, didn't they? Yeah, they did <laughs> at that time, I'll say. But you know what? Later, I want to get to that, too, that the animals have it actually really good now. And we'll find out how, how well they're treated in these in these modern versions. But, right. But imagine seeing a uh, caravan of, um, you know, these, these old-time circus wagons with animals out in the wide open on display mm-hmm. headed down a, a trail, you know, through the woods or whatever, you know, from town to town. This must have been really cool for, you know, a youngster or even an adult to see uh, mm-hmm. this thing arriving in town. Plus, all of the uh, the drama and, and um, you know, the, 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 the pageantry, and, yeah, the, the pageantry, the pomp of the uh, yeah. of the circus arriving. You know, I'm sure that there were jugglers juggling and, you know, people balancing. Playing and horns. That. Yeah, and there was a, a lot. Of, there was a lot of that. I mean, it was a, it was a real show when it came to your town. Mm-hmm. And uh, even even the early days of, of the train travel, you know, because they would just take those wagons, 
those again those open wagons, load them onto the the trains onto flatbed train cars, and haul these things around. So if you saw one of these things coming, you knew that it was a circus train from far far away. I mean, you could tell, you could spot what was happening. Yes, and uh, I think that we're going to get to the process of. Embarking and disembarking for the for the uh, people on the circus train. One thing I do want to do to continue the history and bring it to a bring it up to a uh, more modern age here. Uh, in 1871, a fellow named William Coop uh, has P.T. Barnum support, uh, and so he puts together a traveling circus, uh, rail traveling circus. Um, until then. This had been moved around, like the circus had been moved with teams of hundreds of horses. Yeah, and you know they had been on these these other box cars, and you know just just um, you know in the eighteen fifties all the way up until eighteen seventy one or two, whichever you yeah. said, it was difficult for them to load them onto the train. It was difficult for them to uh, to find a a permanent solution to this. And and in eighteen seventy two, that's when uh, this William Coop that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, what really sets him apart is that he developed this new loading system. Right. And, uh, and that set this thing into, into motion where it became a system that we even see today. I mean, this is something that's, that stuck around, um, since 1872 right through 2013. Yes. And this system, uh, it's, it's difficult to perhaps explain in the modern age how much of a difference this system made. And when we when we hear about it now, it might sound sort of self-evident, right? Yeah. But we have to remember that at the time, they this had not been tried. Yeah. So, the, can, can I just say one thing? Yeah. It was intense in manual labor because yeah. they would load the train, the wagons over the side of the cars mm-hmm. onto these flat cars. And, uh, and that proved to be very, very difficult. I mean, you can imagine loading each car individually that way. Yeah. Um, very tough. So what, what did uh, William do to change things around? Well, to change this, uh, he had uh, built a system of pulling wagons up a ramp and then putting them on a flat car. So as we know, that makes it a lot less work intensive. He also had these plates to bridge every car. So while the while the flat cars were stationary on the train, there would be a ramp at the end, and you'd start pulling a wagon up, and then you could just pull it down across multiple cars. So this is so easy. I mean, it's so elementary when you think about it now, but they didn't do this prior. They loaded them one at a time over the edge. Mm-hmm. Now, they, now they go to the very end of the train, the back end of the train, and load it uh, lengthways, I guess. So you look at it as one long, continuous platform. Right. What, one long container, if you will. Uh, yeah, I guess one long container, if it, if it was closed. Right, but um, I'm what I'm saying is for stacking purposes. Correct, correct. For Tetris purposes. Yeah, for Tetris purposes, you're <laughs> right, Ben, yeah. So they would uh, the drag, you know, one team would would drag the uh, the wagon up that small incline mm. and then a, a way for the team to, you know, disembark and, and head back around to pick up another load. And another team would drag it all the way, you know, as far as, you know, teams maybe even on the ground, kind of like um, almost they would how they would pull barges down the Erie Canal, right. I guess, uh, with, you know, a team on either side mm-hmm. pulling equally. And they would drag it from the back of the train to the front of the train as far as it could go, hitch it up. You know, they would uh, or not hitch it up, but rather, you know, chalk it in place and then go back to pick up the next one. And, and they would load it that way. So it, the train ends up being loaded again from from the back, but it's stacked from front to back, if that makes sense. It does. And here's something that we should also point out. The big question here, the implied question is, well, why figure out this new method of loading trains? Why why would you mess with this in the beginning? Um, 
Well, the roads are inconvenient, sure, but there's another problem with traveling on the roads at this time, and it's that because these are humans and animals, because they're all living creatures, they have to stop and sleep, they have to eat, they have to provide for themselves, which means they have to go to a lot of small towns that may not necessarily be able to support a circus. So Barnum and Coop were thinking, oh, it makes sense. If we can just figure out how to make the rail feasible, then we'll be able to become a much more profitable enterprise. Yeah, we can go from large town to large town and skipping the smaller towns in between. And, of course, the smaller towns in between, the residents can travel to the larger towns in order to, to you know, witness the spectacle, I guess, you know, to, mm-hmm. uh, to see everything that goes on. Uh, but they would set up camp, you know, um, in these in these bigger towns, I guess. So the train would be the camp, really. Right. They would set up, uh, they would set up, in a larger town and stay there for longer periods of time. So instead of the circus coming to town for one or two days, you know, in a small town, they would come to a bigger town for a week. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, P.T. Barnum, you know, they were thinking that this is the uh, this is the way to make more money as well. Right. And uh, as we know, as I guess circus historians know, Coop and Barnum uh, eventually parted ways. Uh, Barnum sold his name to several other shows. Coop came back with another railroad show, and he called it the New United Monster Show. And in 1880, Barnum teamed up with a fellow named James A. Bailey. Wait, did you say Monster Show? Yeah. That's pretty cool. New United Monster Show. I would go to see that. Well, I would, too. We're monster fans. That would be really cool. Hey, you know what? Um, Just one thing, though. I need need to mention this, that... Um, you know, it wasn't long after this that they decided that this whole thing works, right? Right. And, yeah. And yeah. the 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 cool thing, and I I, I just kind of picked this out of the story, is that um, and I man, I think of the year. I'm trying to think of the year here. It was uh, it was not long after the the uh, they decided that you know this was all going to work, and you know they've got the standard gauge rail now, and you know everything mm-hmm. is kind of working, so they're able to travel. Um, they had a brand new 65 car, freshly painted train ordered. That was finally delivered to them. Um, you know, it had, um, you know, of course, passenger cars. It had um, flat cars for, you know, the wagons and some of the bigger items that right. couldn't be stacked. Um, it had sleeping cars, of course, you know, for the for the workers. It had, uh, well, of course, the boxcars were storage. Mm-hmm. Um, it had uh, what they called palace cars for the livestock. This thing must have looked amazing, the first one, because yeah. think about the time when this was happening. Think about how cool the trains were back. I mean, they just looked neat back then. They right. really did. They had, yeah. a, they had a distinct look. They're really cool steam trains, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I just I, I wish I could see that first circus train. There's no real good. Of course, there's no color photographs of this thing. Right. Um, I don't even know if there's any. Uh, there must be black and white photographs of this yeah. first circus train somewhere. But to spot it and call it out as the first, I, I just haven't seen that done yet. I'm sure the first few people who saw it and didn't know what was happening just sort of stared agape for a while I would because so. it's it's a very very long train even yeah. now we've got we've got some statistics about the modern age that i, I guess i'll tease just yeah, like a wait for sure. thing yeah um but so this takes off this idea takes off and the market for circus trains explodes mm-hmm. it goes from literally nothing to everyone has to have one so there, there are different shows that are owned by some of the same larger circus corporations, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they have varying, uh, they have varying numbers of cars in their trains. Oh, so yeah. There's like Spark Circus, which is a little bit smaller with 
20 cars, and then it goes all the way up to something like Barnum and Bailey uh, with 90 cars. You know? Nine, well, you know what? They have more than that, Ben. They Wait, have, well, um, they had 90 cars in... Um, is that in total? No, that's in... Uh, that's 90 cars in 1928 when they had to have some cut. Ah, okay. Okay. I've got some new statistics if you want to jump right into some of these. Yeah, uh, let's jump into because, some new um, Let me tell you, I, I found this information on a site um, that is, I think it's like trainweb.org, um, trainweb.com, and then there's uh, circustrain.com. There's all mm-hmm. kinds of train sites that will track circus trains. Yes. And uh, they track all kinds of trains, as a matter of fact. And I want to talk about that, too, in a minute, but um, they had this little uh, this fact sheet, like a fun fact sheet that the train gives out as promotional items when they arrive into town. You know these uh, these train spotters, these people that uh, that that watch trains. Um, you know that know when they're coming into town. They they stand by the tracks with with cameras and video cameras and everything waiting, and uh, they 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 know that these people are there. So they hand out this information for them. They have press days. They have all kinds mm-hmm. of cool things where you can come on board and and meet the crew and meet the people that run the train and everything. Um, so they, they've got this list of of fun facts of the uh, the Barn- Barnum and Bailey uh, circus train fun facts, and. Um, I mean, it talks about the origin in 1870, or I'm sorry, yeah, 1872, and um, it talks about the special special dispensation that was given to uh, Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey in 1942 during uh, World War II that allowed them to continue to travel on trains, uh, right. train even though you know there was a, a limitation to that or a restriction on that at mm-hmm. that time. Um, talks about the 1960s when uh, this is when they created the two trains. Ben, they have the red line and the blue line. Yes. Do you want to? Uh, do you want me to go into yeah, yeah, more yeah, detail on the red and blue line? We'll um, keep going. Well, okay. I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll keep going, and uh, I'll get to the red and blue line numbers in just a moment. But um, just some interesting things about these two trains that that will come up here. Um, the, the train travels an average of sixteen thousand miles each year on rail just to get from city to city. Uh, it's between an average uh, between between towns is about three hundred and fifty miles. That's the average between cities that they travel. So you can see why you know it's important to be able to just travel through the night. Yeah, um, you know they can the performers can rest comfortably. You know it's not riding mm. on a bus or you know flying or whatever. Um, there is a uh, someone called a train master. You know they have a ringmaster. Right. There's also a train master, and the train master is the guy who's in charge of obviously everything about the train. Mm-hmm. And uh, the train master has to walk a minimum of three miles per day, as he walks you know completely around the train, checks out every aspect of mm-hmm. it. You know just, several times. Just, yeah, several times a day. I would say it. He probably walks more than that. I would think. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. 
You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Uh, yeah, I that, see that's what's difficult because the trains themselves uh, can be. There's one, I'm not going to spoil it, there's one that's uh, close to a mile in length. Longer than a mile. Right. Yeah, barely. Uh, like Only only slightly above it, like 120 feet longer than a mile. But that's, that train um, master is doing more than three yeah. miles. Now, the, the maximum speed for these trains is mm-hmm. about 60 miles per hour, mm-hmm. uh, which is that's pretty rapid to move an entire circus and, through. And this is modern day. Yeah, modern day. Um, let's see. Each year, there's been about an average of, about, uh, let's see, 1,000 hours. Uh, traveling from city to city. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, you want to talk about the uh, the blue and red train lines now? Uh, well, wait. Before you get to that, we just we want to mention where modern circus cars or modern circus trains get their cars. Oh, I jumped way ahead. I apologize. No, no, no worries. Uh, because that's that's one of the questions we know that we know that from a logistical standpoint, just the sheer length of these trains can be difficult for uh, conductors, for people at train yards, right? And we know that some of the same things that work for a passenger train are not going to work for a uh, circus train. Mm-hmm. For instance, the flatbeds have to be uh, specially reinforced, especially if they're carrying elephants, for instance. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, and uh, we know that those those might be called stock cars. Uh, so there's a lot of customization here. But uh, one of the big questions in the modern age would be, where do they get all of these cars? More than a mile in length, man. Um, Amtrak is currently the United States' only passenger carrying uh, train system, right? Mm, or sure. Passenger carrier. Uh, so circuses buy old cars from Amtrak. Yeah, they they recycle these cars. They're they're refurbished, reconditioned, however you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But doesn't it take it takes an exceedingly long time? It sounded to uh, to refurbish one of these. Yeah, it's something like nine thousand hours or something crazy mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. It's a long, long time to work on to get a a circus train car. That's just one car ready to go, and they will. Swap in new cars as they need them, and I found that um, you know each train can expect to receive one or two cars each year, new or refurbished, new, uh, mm-hmm. reconditioned. 
based on their needs. You know, if they need a new uh, stock car, if they need a sure. new uh, um, cabin or coach car mm-hmm. uh, for the performers, you know, I'm sure those take a little bit longer, maybe because of the detail. And, and they're the, pretty much apartments. Well, the pl- yeah, I was going to say the plumbing, the electricity, yeah. all, and all, everything involved, and, and the new layout of the way the rooms work, and because you know, every year they're finding more efficient and, and newer and better ways to do things. So um, these refurbished cars are continually uh, being updated and, and kind of swapped in and out of the, the existing train uh, trains, both red and blue line. So uh, that's a great point. Let's get to the red and blue line and then uh, tell us a little bit about that and then we'll start talking about the process of a circus train arriving at a town. Okay, sure. You want me to start with, yeah. uh, let's start with uh, the smaller of the two. There's a um, uh, the red unit. And now again, this is all for Ringling Brothers and Barman Bailey. So they have two units that are traveling the United States all the time, just constantly in motion. Uh, so there's a red unit, blue unit. The red unit has 59 cars, Ben. Um, and that's the small one. That's the small one. Um, here's how it breaks down. There are four animal stock cars, 30 living quarter coaches, two concessions or concession stock cars. So that's, you know, stuff for when they get to the, the arena. Yeah. Um, 19 flatbed cars. One pie car, which we'll talk about in a minute. That's that's the same as a restaurant, mm-hmm. and uh, two generator cars, and uh, one shop and repair car. So they have their own repair uh, place on on hand all the time. So you yeah. know, for fixing whatever they need to. Because again, these are like rolling cities. I mean, it's got you know the people. It's got their own. They bring their own food and water. Um, it's it's really quite a setup. And the uh, the larger of the two of these, the the blue unit, uh, not a whole lot bigger. It's sixty one cars in length. However, that 61, 61 cars equals, like we mentioned before, mm-hmm. that's greater than a mile. That's a huge, huge train. This is one of those trains that if you're waiting for it at a, a crossing, you know, uh, the train yeah, crossing. good luck. You're tapping your fingers on the steering wheel going, when is this Tur- train going to Just turn end? off the car. Yeah, really. It's an, it's an amazingly long train. Um, and th- that one breaks down similar in that it has four animal stock cars, 32 living quarter coaches, uh, again, two concession storage cars, 19 flatbed cars, one pie car, and two generator cars, and one shop and repair car. So, um, plus, you know, we've got the engines. Right. You know, the, the that's re- not even counting no, the engines. No, that's not counting the engines. But, um, so the red unit, the blue unit, the blue unit is the longer of the two. And, um, man, these things, I mean, it's pretty amazing what they're able to, uh, able to do. Yeah, um, they're they're really self sustaining. I mean, they've got these generator cars that you know produce their own electricity. I said they bring their own water. They've got this pie car that that mm-hmm. you can talk about right now if you want. Yeah, knock, knock um, it out. Now the pie car is the uh, the the dining car, and that's located centrally in the train, so that you know everybody can get to it easily. So you never have to walk more than a half mile. No, <laughs> on yeah, the train. No, no, not even that because you don't have to walk past the um, past the animals. You don't have to walk past all the, uh, the oh, storage that's right. containers. That's, right. that's all. Yeah. Um, you know. Can I make yeah. one? Let's take one side trip here. In that, uh, I'm going to talk about the pie car next, but mm-hmm. um, the, uh, the the treatment of the animals. You know, a lot of people are really concerned about that. And there's right. a couple of places we'll bring this up, but mm-hmm. um, the animals are carried at the very front of the train, right behind the engines. Mm-hmm. And they say that that is the place where there's the smoothest ride. So they're they're well cared for. I mean, they have misters that uh, can lower the temperature in the cars up to uh, I think it's 20 degrees. 
uh, misters and sprayers and, you know, fans and all that stuff. Right. Um, I think that the air conditioning unit, units didn't, they said they had air conditioning units originally, but there was a problem with that, so they did, they think the fans and misters are better. Uh, mm. they actually lower the temperature better. Uh, something about humidity in the air. Right. There's a, uh, these, these cars are climate controlled, mm-hmm. and I think that's a huge, huge thing to point out. Now, um, the ongoing debate about, uh, animals in circuses mm-hmm. and whether or not it's ethical is not something that is not something that we are going to really approach outside of saying that in a circus train um these the the animals are actually sometimes in better living quarters than some of the people and <laughs> i don't know i uh, they they travel in a smoother location they travel I mean, in a smoother location but scott the um the a lot of the stuff we read about which we'll get to about the uh, swank condition of some of these uh, living cars. Yeah, uh, those are for the star performers. That's true. You know, uh, Joe Schmo, who just helps pitch the tent, is in a bunk with a footlock. I think you. I think you're right. So um, now, I, now we uh, do want to make a point though with the uh, with the animals. Like they are, they are not necess- They're not being tortured. They're not being held in some crazy uh, hot box. No. For. Uh, 16,000 miles. No, no, no. In fact, their handlers are often with them for most of the train ride. Right. Um, you know, making sure the conditions are right. And they're, they're, you know, doing whatever they do with them. But I just wanted to point out, um, and again, we're not going to turn this into an animal rights show. All we need mm-hmm. to do is say that, you know, they're, they're loaded up at the front by the engines, uh, mm-hmm. where there's the smoothest possible ride. Then it come, then the people are behind that, and then all the storage cars. Yep. So, um, you know, they're given even preferential treatment as far as placement over the humans on the train. Um, and then, you know, I've heard people, you know, say something like, you know, well, these, these animals aren't working on their own accord. You know, they don't want to be doing this. Um, right. and I think I've heard the responses that, you know, hey, these animals work two hours a day, maybe at the most. Well, um, you know, the rest of the time they're being, well, you know, cared for. Anyways. Well, I, I do want to say, though, the last time I went to a circus several years back, it was here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and there were animal rights protesters mm-hmm. outside of the circus, yeah. and... Um, I saw the same thing. Yeah, it's an, it's, uh, it's an interesting point, um, especially when you consider how intelligent these animals are, but we do know that at least while they're on the train, uh, although it's, it's certainly not their natural environment, uh, it is... Not a torturous environment. No, no, that's correct. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Let's so, move. with that sidebar back, let's go to the pie car. Either <laughs> well, I didn't mean to bring it down there. Okay, let's go back yeah. to the pie car because the pie car. This sounds exciting to me, Ben, and I'll tell you why. It's a it's a restaurant that when the train is moving, it's open twenty four seven. Um, there's always something going on in the pie car. Apparently, this is like their uh, their social gathering place. Yeah, this as well. is like their cheers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. This is so you know, it's it's where all the artists and staff and everybody they all come together. Everybody can sit down and and I've I've seen you know images of this during you know media days. They have um and I haven't been on one obviously, but um they have media days where they have people come in and they they cook them a, a great big dinner like a, a typical dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, which by the way, sometimes you know during the week they may have certain days where like we're going to feature the foods of Brazil. This week because we have performers from Brazil, oh, and cool. you know this night we're going to have French food only because uh, you know we have a lot of French performers and mm-hmm. you know I'm going to do my best to make their type of food. And they're probably like um, Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving yeah, dinner, yeah, exactly. Stuff. So it's called the Pie Car, and it's right in the middle of the train. And there's also a Pie Car Junior, which serves meals when they're at the arenas. So I don't know exactly what that's all about, but I'll have to find more information about the Pie Car Junior. But um, get this, Ben, throughout the year. Each pie car pre- prepares approximately one hundred and nine thousand meals. 
That's a huge number. That is huge. That's an awful lot of people to feed throughout the year. I mean, we're talking, uh, well, you know what, I, I was going to say like on a, on a cruise ship, but I think a cruise ship would probably be more because they're constantly eating yeah, on a cruise and, ship. Uh, for anybody who's a little confused by that number, when we say meal, we don't mean one meal for one person. We, we mean a meal service. Yes. Yes, that's right. So they, they prepare... 109,000 meals each year, which is amazing. And again, to be open 24-7 um, and to be the social center, it seems like that's kind of the cool place to be on a, on a circus train, really, when you're traveling, yeah. right? Yes. And um, while we're talking about traveling, let's talk about how a train arrives at a circus. Ah. Or excuse me, how a, tr- how a circus train arrives at a town. Okay. So it starts way before the actual circus train arrives. There's a, a, an advertising car that comes out. You read about this? No, I did not. So an advertising uh, car comes out, and somebody goes hours ahead of the circus. Yeah. 24, 48 hours ahead of the circus or whatever. Um, this was in the old days, okay? And this advance car would come to the town, and they would have a guy who would be called, like, the 24-hour man or something. And mm-hmm. him and his team would plaster the place with flyers, you know, the circus is coming, the circus is coming. Sure, putting up the banner ads. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, they have uh, trucks, vans, conventional vehicles that will do this work. But I thought this was neat because they would have the, um, I, I thought it was so neat to see this sort of harbinger car coming along. Yeah. Uh, they also put up billboards, and if there was a bigger show, then they have more than one car um and there was the whole team of people hanging canvas banners at the overpasses and on buildings and stuff. And um, here's here's something neat. So, Scott, not all of these cars were just straight-up advertising cars that would go ahead of their circus. There were also what were called opposition cars. Oh. And these would go ahead of rival circuses. Oh, no. In other towns. Really? <laughs> right. Well, if, or excuse me, there were towns that might have more than one circus. Circus busters. Yeah, kind of, yeah. yeah. So just to, just to try to get the advertising edge, you know, <laughs> so that people could say, oh, well, I was going to go to, um, to Knoll's Fantastic Menagerie and Entertainment, but now I see that Scott's Emporium of Wonders is already... Here we already made plans. Oh my gosh, really? I, yeah. This is this is a phenomenon. I just hadn't even heard about this uh, this whole That's thing. That's pretty neat, huh? That is pretty neat, I guess. So I mean, it makes sense. You have to get uh, get the word out early. And I, mm. I know that we've seen you know ads put up on uh, you know telephone poles, pasted in windows, that type of thing. You know, modern day. Yeah. I know that they would do the same. You know, long long ago, they would put up banners across Main Street. Mm-hmm. Um, you mm-hmm. know, there'd be a lot of excitement drawn up. You know, that uh, the circus is coming to town. So I mean, I, I guess I I hadn't really given it much thought how that arrived ahead of time. Um, I kind of thought it arrived with the circus, but that would make much sense because it's already there. Yeah, and uh, so this 24-hour crew, um, they're called the 24-hour man, right? The leader of the crew is called that because it was typically 24 hours for the circus. So he made sure uh, that the contracts were in place, hugely important, that the animals were... uh, that the animals would be able to be fed, that the um, venue where they would pitch was going to be available and open, mm-hmm. you know. And um, he's a problem solver. Yeah, he's a fixer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, then this uh, this was interesting to me because I I had not really thought about it, but you you have to have these uh, people who will prepare the way. If you use paper, you're a human. 
But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It could also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time in range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. We're back to uh, what? Where are we at here? We're talking about um, the. We're talking about the uh, the the twenty four hour man mm-hmm. that comes out ahead of the circus, right? Right. And the busters that come in, uh, you know, and and kind of say, you don't want to <laughs> go to that crappy show. You want to go to our show because it's so mm-hmm. much better. And yeah. we have, uh, I don't know, stronger, faster animals. Right. Yes. Our we have more attractive elephants, more agile tigers. Um, our clowns will not scare your children. Um, <laughs> no, that's not e- no way. <laughs> clowns always scare children. You know what's weird is um, a lot of people. Now this is a total sidebar, and it's a little bit of a dark sidebar because we're about to go dark with this episode, right? Eh, um, soon enough. Yes. Yeah, so. I have a theory about why clowns became so tremendously unpopular. Oh, why is this? Um, bear with me here, Scott. So, in growing up, everybody that I knew around my age and uh, dis- disliked clowns. Just didn't really enjoy it or get it, you know. Bozo the Clown was on the air still, but it was really failing in, in, in my age. Yeah. And then when I was living in Guatemala... Uh, I realized like the kids there all loved clowns. Really, they loved it, man. There were cl- like there were a lot more holidays. That was cool. Um, but every time there was some kind of event in the town I was in, yeah. there'd be different clowns and 
adults and, loved it. The kids loved it. And the it. kids weren't showing any the kind of fear. Kids were not afraid of the clown. No and then kidding. it made me think, what would make Americans look differently at clowns? Or United States people look differently at clowns? You know what I'm going to say. I do. John Wayne Gacy. Yes, exactly. And I think maybe in the post-Gacy environment, that's why there's this tremendous creeptitude around clowns. There has to be. There absolutely has to be. I know, And I know that a lot of people are going to agree with that. Um, when I was a young, young kid, mm-hmm. I used to watch Bozo the Clown out of uh, out of Chicago yeah. because I was near there. I lived in Indiana, so we could pick up Chicago stations. And I loved the show. No problem with that. I go to the circus when I was a kid and, you know, kind of iffy about the clowns, but they were okay. And uh, much later, I realized, like, these are kind of creeping me out. And there, there was no real link that I could make until much, much later when I became a, a true crime fan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I did learn about all this. And, of course, you know, I... I Knew all, you know, kind of halfway knew about what was going on because I was pretty young at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did know what was going on. And then in high school, you know, you kind of investigated a little more, read a little more, see some photos. Um, and that yeah. I think turned the corner for me. And I'm, I, right now, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of clowns. I'll tell you that. I, I will turn around and leave a room. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, the, a lot of people are probably wondering, you know, is this, is this a, a rambling thing? And that's my bad. I was rambling a bit just to introduce us to a darker side to one fair point I should make, Scott. The clowns at these circuses are professional, uh, and they are not in any way crazed killers. You know and you know what? I've been to the circus recently, and while I'm up in the stands and I'm not personally interacting with them, it's good fun. fun. Yeah. It's, it's good fun. And I mean, it's really funny if you like slapstick as well. There's some clever jokes in there. Yeah. Um, but we, we introduce, uh, this darker tone here because we're about to talk about one of the, or several of the, um, tragedies involving circus trains. Yeah, there have been a few, and I, I only want to spend just maybe, let's spend two or three minutes on this, okay. maybe, at yeah, the yeah. most. How about that? We'll just yeah. kind of breeze through this real quick, because, again, this is the downside of all this, and, and mm-hmm. obviously there's, you know, with that many miles traveled, that many hours traveled, you know, yearly, there's going to be an accident here or there, and we're talking about, you know, 100-plus years of, of train travel here. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some tragedies along the way, and there's uh, three here that I want to mention um, there's one that's bigger than the rest, but um, we'll start with some of the smaller ones. There's okay. a uh, there's one in Duran, Michigan, uh, the Wallace Brothers Circus Train Wreck, and uh, that involved two t- two trains from the same circus company. Ben, wow, um, they were traveling in tandem. You know, they had uh, total. Oh, I'm sorry, one had 16 cars, one had 22 cars. Um, this is like 1903, in August of 1903. So going way back. Um, I guess the smaller train's brakes failed one night. Uh, it was about 3.45 in the morning, uh, slammed into the larger train. Um, in this particular wreck, there were 23 people that died, uh, three camels, one elephant, and one dog that, that perished as well. Gosh. But uh, these are these are tragic when they happen because they're carrying so many people. you got to remember if they're carrying you know 200 people and all these animals and everything, um, you know, 23 dead, that's a lot of people. Um, but, you know, if, it, if a modern train were to crash, mm-hmm. um, which thankfully it hasn't recently, um, you know, they're, car- they're carrying now in, a re- in the neighborhood of 250, 300 people. Right. Um, so, you know, 23 people, that's a lot of people, don't get me wrong, but it's not the biggest tragedy that we'll talk about. Um, the, the middle one here that I want to talk about, mm-hmm. um, far fewer dead, as a matter of fact, but another circus train wreck is the Al G. Barnes uh, circus train wreck. And uh, that was in 1930, in July of 1930. 
Again, it was a 29-car train, single train. This is uh, the last 11 cars derailed at some point in the middle wow. of the night. Um, it, there were, I think there were somewhere in New Brunswick. That's my feeling mm-hmm. on this. Uh, the the uh, article that I read was a little bit sparse on you know, town information. Uh, there were no animal, animals injured because we told you that they, they travel in the front cars. And even in 1930, that was the case. They traveled up front in the, uh, in the smoother riding cars. All the people were in the back. Um, I guess there were four circus staff, uh, one hitcher, a guy who was just hopping, you know, ride on the train that, that died. Wow. And, um, I think there was like 17 injured. And then, uh, you know, we moved on to, we, after we go back another 12 years, really, for the biggest one, right? Mm. Back, uh, to, yes, uh, yeah. back to 1918. Right. June 22nd, 1918, the Hammond Circus train wreck, uh, named because it's near Hammond, Indiana. Um, so this is interesting because an empty Michigan Central Railroad troop train hits the rear end of the, oh, here we go, Scott, Hagenbach Wallace. Sound, sound yeah. kosher to you? Yeah, that's good. Hagenbach Wallace. Circus train. Uh, 86 people killed Scott, 127 injured. That is amazing. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a huge number. Um, right in the middle of the night, so people are asleep, of course. Uh, the problem was, so was the uh, the the driver of the train that, that yeah. collided with the circus train of the Michigan Central. Exactly, train. they say that uh, you know the, the cause of this was uh, um, lack of sleep. I guess the guy they say hadn't been sleeping or hadn't slept at all the preceding twenty four hours prior you know prior to this mm-hmm. wreck. Um, something about several heavy metals were found in his system. Yeah, he was uh, apparently the story goes he was on a medication mm-hmm. of some sort too. Uh, yeah, kidney pills. I think kidney pills. Said. I found that mm-hmm. as well. Um, and these also had some sort of narcotic effect. So he was. I don't know too much about the what the heavy metals imply, but he was definitely deprived of sleep and under the influence uh, while he was. While he's driving, one interesting point here, um, Cecil B. DeMille's Greatest Show on Earth, uh, which came out in 1952, uh, recreated this accident, um, not accurately, because mm-hmm. it is 1950s Hollywood. Sure. But um, there is a uh, this this made such an impression that decades later people were still talking about. Yeah, it. this is a big one. I mean, eighty six people died, and there were like uh, I think it was one hundred and twenty seven injured in this wreck. So this is a major yeah, major accident. This is a disaster. In fact, in fact, this is still one of the uh, one of the worst train wrecks in U.S. history at this point, even now, mm-hmm. uh, modern day. Um, most of the people they said perished almost immediately. Um, the problem was then. Uh, these are old wooden cars, and they had oil lamps on board. Right. And the wreckage, of course, instead of just, you know, like, well, not instead of, but I know a lot of modern trains, when they crash, um, you know, it's a lot of twisted metal, a lot of debris and stuff, but uh, there's usually not a fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this caught fire almost immediately as well. So, um, you know, added added another level of an element of danger to this thing. So, um Really not a good scene at all, obviously. Um, now, the the thing is that they were buried at a place called Showman's Rest. And this is kind of an interesting side note yeah, on this whole yeah, thing, yeah. is that uh, this is a plot of land that was purchased, I guess, just months prior to this. And, and this Showman's Rest that we're going to talk about is not a one of a kind. There are other places called Showman's Rest that are set aside in uh, cemeteries for people that are entertainers mm-hmm. and uh, and circus entertainers specifically um, and if you get a chance you know take a look at you know some of the information about showman's rest but this one the one that they were buried at is in Woodlawn Cemetery in Forest Park Illinois so it was near near the wreck cuz you know uh, i guess Hammond is up in the northern part um, uh, but there's also another one 
Oh, you know what? I'm, just just a moment here on the on the first one from Forest Lawn. Yeah. Um, I guess it's a it's a pretty big place, and there's um, elephant statues that surround this thing. And a lot of the stones, you know, they're marked um, unknown male, unknown mm-hmm. female, because they didn't know who they were. There was the fire that you know they just couldn't tell who people right. were. Right. Yeah. Um, tragic. So you didn't have dental records. You know, some some people were marked. However, they didn't know who they were, and a lot of those people have very ornate stones. Uh, you know, final uh, gravestones. Mm-hmm. And if you take a look at some of those, they're really, really interesting. Some of them are shaped like big tops. Mm-hmm. Some of them have, um, you know, elephant uh, etchings, you know, drawn into them. Sure. They have depictions uh, of their circus careers. Yeah, if they were a ringmaster or whatever mm-hmm. they happen to be. Uh, some of them are really, really interesting to look at. Um, so take a look at that. Again, there's one in, uh, you know, Forest, where did I say, Forest Park, Illinois. And there's mm-hmm. also one that I know of in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I think there are others scattered throughout the country but um these showman rest places are really kind of interesting mm-hmm. interesting places to check out and that's a good point that a showman's rest is not the showman's rest it's a kind of place yeah. and uh we're not going to end on a down note don't worry guys that is the probably the last of our dark stuff and we're actually yeah. close to the end here we, too. we spent a little bit too long on that i didn't mean to i, oh, I no. spent like two two or three minutes it's fascinating it's I, fascinating yeah can i um at least a couple more things here yeah, real yeah, quick yeah. that um, Knock it out. um you know we, we talked about you know how people you know stand on the the, the side of the rails and, and watch for these trains to arrive now yes right? and this happens even now of course yeah um now maybe more than ever really um and that's because of the web a lot of people are getting this information from places like I mentioned, uh, what I said, train web, train web and, um, you know, circus mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, it is. I, I'll have to look it up. I think it's dot com. Um, but there are people that they, they're called rail fans or rail buffs, train buffs, railway enthusiasts, mm-hmm. uh, train spotters, gricers. It kind of depends on where you're from. And, uh, there was also, just a sidebar on this part. Um, there's someone called a metrophile, or some a group of people called metrophiles, and those are people that are fascinated with underground systems like subways and, oh, yeah, and yeah, underground yeah. trams. But um, to, to the hobby, I guess, in, in watching trains or, or locating trains, and again through all those sites, you can track trains across the U.S. kind of like you would on um, you know a site like FlightAware, where mm-hmm. you can track a train and see where it is. Um, you know, exactly where it's going to be arriving next and, you know, the ske- the proposed schedule. I think they're, you know, plus or minus a little bit of time. But, so people can um, anticipate the passage of the train more easily with the web. Yeah, and, and the hobby is sometimes called, get this, it's called ferroequinology, which means literally the study of iron horses. Which I found kind of funny. That is really cool. Yeah, that is pretty neat. That ferroequinology, ferroequinology, which is kind of a neat, uh, neat term for the hobby. But again, um, you have to, it depends on where you are. If you're in the U.S., the United Kingdom, Indonesia, Australia, they all have different names for what they call these people. And sometimes they have derogatory terms for them. Like here in the United States, uh, railway workers call them foamers. And that's because they <laughs> foam at the mouth and at the idea of, you know, some train coming, you know, that they're all excited about and everything. So, mm-hmm. you know, they have a couple of, uh, uh, pejorative terms for them, I right. guess. And that, uh, you know, they're kind of, Laughed at by some, but but you know it's a big group, and a lot of people really are really serious about tracking trains and photographing them, and that's how we got a lot of this information that we've shared with you today, is mm. through that. You know, people that have have tracked them and watched them arrive, and we saw photographs of them loading and unloading, and modern versions, yeah. old versions. It's really a, it's an interesting hobby. Yes, and it's still a continuing lifestyle. We want to outline that. Uh, as we as we head out, but Scott, you've got a couple more things, right? I do. I've got. You know what? Okay. Instead, of, how about this? I'll okay. do two. One more things, beginning with this. One more thing. One more thing. All right. 
I want to mention animal crackers because I feel like we have to mention animal crackers, and, and there's yes. a reason. Okay. Um, going way back to 1902, um, I think the National Biscuit Company was the company that was creating these animal crackers at the time. Uh, later, they would be known as Barnum's Animals, and I think they're still known as Barnum's Animals. Oh, yeah, look fact. at the box. The box looks like what I had talked about earlier, those mm-hmm. old-time um, you know, circus wagons with the animals in, in you know, encased. Yeah. They have wheels, and they used to have wheels that you could pull out from underneath, and you could stand the train up on on a table or something. It looked mm-hmm. like a wagon, and they had a um, they had a string on top. You know that you could uh, believe. Get this. I thought it was always so they could link them together and drag them like a train. You know, across the the surface of the you know table or whatever. Uh-huh. Not the case. I guess they were originally thought originally thought of as being a uh, you could put them on a Christmas tree as a Christmas tree ornament. Oh, cool! Yeah, I know. That's I, weird. It, it's a strange little thing, but um, just to give you an idea of how many of these since 1903, uh, they've used 37 different animals that are featured in the box, and uh, this is a rotation. So there's sometimes mm-hmm. there, sometimes not. It's not to mean that you'll get all 37 in one box. Right. Um, I think it may be limited to like maybe 20 at a time in rotation. Um, and you'll get kind of a mix of each, but there, there are, let's say, 20 at any given time that are rotated in and out. So uh, there's this huge mix. Now, 37 animals, that's a lot of variety in these things, right? And get this, I think they're built by, or built by, <laughs> I'm used to talking about cars. Right, right, right. They are manufactured by uh, Nabisco <laughs> now, and they sell something like 40 million packages every year. Wow. Of animal crackers. I wonder if the circus gets any money. I I don't see how they couldn't. I mean, it, they're called Barnum's Animals. They're, mm. uh, they look like a circus train. Um, I, I don't understand how they couldn't be making some kind of money off of this thing. They must be. All right. You've got one more, one more thing. I do have one more, one more thing. One more thing. All right. There's something that I would mentioned at the head of this about, you know, the treatment of the animals. You know, we talked about that just... Shortly, right? Yes. Um, okay. And we talked about the ringmaster getting out and walking, right? And he mm-hmm. has to walk three miles a day. Yep. Well, the animals also get out and walk every day, regardless if they're if they're traveling or not. They they will stop the train. They'll have a a scheduled stop for the train mm-hmm. and let the animals get out and and stroll and have this uh, this this recreation time. They now, call it the animal walk. Right? They call it the animal walk. That's right. And you know the the animal walk is officially I think when it, when the circus arrives into town. And I didn't know that this was going on. This is what I was mentioning, alluding uh, to what before. We teased earlier. Yeah. Now the animal walk is when the circus train arrives into town mm-hmm. and they stop the train something like a mile out of the venue, a mile away from the uh, from the arena or wherever they're going to play. They unload all of the animals right there on the street and they walk them to the arena or to the venue. Yeah. And this gives them you know, the exercise they need for that one day. You know, because the next day they're going to get it some other way. They're getting back on the train and you know walking or just you know walking around the arena. Mm-hmm. Um, but they walk about a mile, you know, from the train to the arena for exercise, and the uh, the show uh, also show promotion, like you had talked about when they go into town, and you know, this this is like the old time circus parade. Right. Um, yeah. This is exactly what this is because there are additional in in addition to the trainers that that normally work with them, uh, there's something that they call the. Um, Oh, what do they call them? The cherry pie workers, or something like that. Um, I, I wish I had that note in front of me right now. I don't. But the uh, the cir- circus workers who wish to earn just a little bit of extra money mm-hmm. are allowed to lead some of the animals on this uh, on this this oh, uh, animal walk. Okay. Okay. And uh, I think they called them cherry pie workers for some reason. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyways, they're they're 
you know, more than happy to help with it. You know, they've mm-hmm. all got, you know, a kind of a uniform. It's usually just a T-shirt or something. But you get to see all the performers ahead of time leading, let's say, a team of horses or, you know, an elephant or whatever it happens to be the full mile from the train all the way to the venue. So this can be kind of an exciting thing. If you know the circus is coming in, yeah. get to one of these sites that tracks the train and tells you where it's going to stop and all that information, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe go out and see the animal walk. I think I think for kids, even adults, I think this would be something really cool to check out. Consult your local ferroequinologist. I love that word. Oh, my gosh. That was a lot of stuff, Ben. That's a lot of stuff, but I think we both became very fascinated with this idea because when... When we were first reading about uh, circus trains, I thought it would be something like a, a, an historical oddity that mm-hmm. faded away. I was very surprised, pleasantly so, to find out that the red and blue line are still around today. I think there's also a gold line now. Really? And um, maybe that's for a different organization. Mm-hmm. But what what uh, amazed me about this, to go back to the New York Times article that I mentioned in the very beginning here by Annie Bernard, Barnard, um, this is a continuing practice, and it is also uh, like the circus manager, Mr. Mr. Jonathan Griggs said, uh, you said earlier, Scott, these trains are basically cities without a zip code. And uh, you can read some fantastic information about life aboard the trains, about the logistics that they use uh, to get from point A to point B and to get the circus on and off um, all around the web and on the uh, train web forums. I'd like to also thank those forums because they gave us some excellent stuff. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. And uh, I guess we're going to head out of here, right? Yeah, you know what? I was just thinking about this, though. We're, we're ready to go, but... Um this this almost is this feels like an opportunity for for a new reality show, doesn't it? Yes. Life aboard a circus train. I mean, yeah, they could follow a train for a full year and see what happens on board one of those things. Because I think a lot of people would be fascinated because uh-huh. there, there's literally everything going on. I mean, to, when you live on an, on a vehicle like this for mm-hmm. a year at a time, or actually two years at a yeah. time, um, you know, because of two year tours. Um, man, I mean, it's just got to be a fascinating environment. Showdown at the pie car. Uh, have you guys ever had a an experience seeing a circus train, been aboard a circus train, or do you have some more information you could give us about Scott and I's newest obsession? We hope so, and we hope you enjoyed listening. So drop us a line on Facebook, we're CarStuffHSW, or give us a holler on Twitter, or you can skip the social media entirely and send us an email at CarStuff at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids. No plug needed. Let's go. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) 
You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.